this dichotomy of expression, letting in, keeping in, and what we keep in and what we uh, what we let out. I'm, I'm just going to go a little bit further with the Rambam and. It's very interesting the way that he categorizes the different areas in which a person has to activate a transcendent way of being. So let's go through them and let's let's play around with what this means. So first category is Bamacholoy. So if you just remind ourselves of what the Rambam was talking about, it's this idea of a person given the benefit and gift of wisdom has to emulate the or express the value and the beauty of that which he he's, he's carrying. And therefore a person who's enlightened cannot be discordant in the way he, he in other in better words, the way of the wise is not a uh, it's not a intellectual sense of progression, but rather it is a not a way of it's not a way of knowing, it's not a way of understanding, it's a way of being. And being inhabits the spectrum of my world in terms of my interactions and the way I interact in the world will be Rambam categorizes but the point that he makes is that things which are elevated are differentiated we use the example of Shabbat as opposed to the week it's a day which becomes observably different from the rest of the week because everything in that day changes the way you eat the way you walk the way you talk the way you dress. And because there are all these differences imposed on the day, which then express what the day is all about, when in my internal world, I want to express my elevated privilege of becoming a conduit of higher wisdom, so then my mode of behavior has to reflect that as opposed to intellectual knowledge, which is essentially dislocated and, in a sense, the head is decapitated from the experience of being. In other words, you have to integrate your wisdom. And the way you integrate the wisdom is in the way you eat, in the way that you consume alcohol, in the way that you conduct your intimate life, in the way that you go to the bathroom, in the way that you speak, in the way that you walk, in the way that you dress, in the way that you manage your financial incomes, income and expenses, and in the way that you do business. Pretty much the spectrum of the stuff that life has to give us, in all those areas, there's a way of being. And the Rambam starts to create a vision of what a person whose wisdom is within 
will be like in those situations? Or how will how are you going to eat? How are you going to eat? So what would a wise person, what would like be his eating patterns? Um, would he go for pizza, sushi? How about tortillas? Would the wise person eat um, quickly or slowly? Would he eat at given times? Where would he eat? Would he eat in a restaurant? Would he eat in a sidewalk cafe? Would he eat in his kitchen, in his living room, or is in, in his dining room? When a wise person eats, will he open and close his mouth wide, or will he chew little bites? Is the notion of Western manners something which is also relevant to a wise person? Are those specific to a particular culture and really have no global connection to wisdom? Which is something to think about. A person who's grown up using um, knives and forks to eat with may think it's rude to eat with your hands. A person that eats with chopsticks thinks it's extremely crass to eat with knives and forks. And a person that has been grown up eating with their hands thinks that knives and forks are an aberration and interrupt the sacred relationship that you have with your food. So where exactly do we draw the line when it comes to, to eating? And how do you eat as a chochem, as a wise man? Um, and what, what is eating all about? And, uh, you know, like how does it reflect itself? So those are, those are questions that we need to ask ourselves as we try to think about the way of being of a wise. And remember what we said about wisdom. We said wisdom was the maintaining the sacred space of my internal world and not allowing that to spill out. At the same time, the Rambam now says, but it has to be reflected. In other words, when I look at the plants outside, I can't, I can't, outside, I can't see so photosynthesis, but I see that they're growing. So there's evidence of the inner wisdom in the way that they are. But if I behave in a way that is in, antithetical, to the wisdom that I contain, so then it's almost as if that wisdom is, is not real. It's not me. It's just something, it's a glimpse of another world that I have no connection to. So this notion of integrated behavior is not a nice option if I can be bothered. It's the process itself. In other words, the process of the Jewish spiritual system when learning is not about garnering information. It's about integrating wisdom into the way of being, of the way I am. And now it becomes very challenging. It becomes very challenging because there's stuff that opposes it. For example, schnitzel. Could be a big issue. Pizza. Falafel. Especially towards, you know, you get a big laffa. Towards the end of the laffa, things can get quite, 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 dangerous, because you've got all this, you've got this, especially when you go for a big da- dose of tachina, and there's like been, it's like it's sitting at the bottom of your lafa, and slowly but surely, depending on, of course, the quality of the, of the lafa itself, it may not have a strong wet strength component, which could mean that the, the bottom of the lafa will give way, um, and then depending, of course, on the, on the wrapping, but you could land up with a massive puddle of tachina on your lap, uh, while you're negotiating remnants of falafel balls and trying to stop your hands from getting into your eyes because you've touched the kharif. So we'll have to figure out is that is there gonna be is there gonna be something that we should eat and how should we eat it? So the Ramam starts like this. Kate said Tamil Khachamim 
Lo ye gargaran. He shouldn't be... The word gargaran, it sounds like a nice word. It sounds almost onomatopoeic. If you can imagine a person eating that way. Um, a gargaran seems to be like some kind of a glutton, where you're just shoveling food down your gullet. Shouldn't be doing that. Step number one. What kind of food should be eating? as a chokham, as a wise person. So this is fascinating. He says the kind of food you should be eating is food that will provide you with the nutritional element elements which will give you health. Now, when we think about our eating habits, or I think about my eating habits, I don't know if that's the first thing I look for when I meet food. Until very recently, for me, the criteria, some of the criteria for eating food would be taste, appearance, and for the moments that the food manages to stay inside my mouth and chug around on my tongue, I want that to be pleasure. Oh, oh, you'll say to me, but Siegel, that only lasts seconds. I want those seconds to, to be good. I want to feel that sense of satisfaction as I swallow the food that those few seconds had rested on my tongue and I picked up the taste with super geschmack. What happens if the food is deeply fried schnitzel in oil that was last changed around about Pesach time? All the better. All the better. It gives it a certain kind of vintage schnitzel air. <laughs> Says the Rambam, no... That Michael Haroil Havrois Gufoy, that when you're thinking about what you eat, it should be something that maintains the health of your body. So now, what about the portion? Don't overeat. Eat something which is healthy and don't overeat. So, so this is funny because this sounds like sound nutritional advice. Why is this a description of a chokham? So let's just keep on going and then you see things get really. More sophisticated. You shouldn't be chasing to fill your tummy. Like those people that stuff themselves until they are bloated. Who are these people now? This is where it gets really, really odd. And they say, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. Boom! That's an explosion. That is an explosion. Because here I am talking about nutrition, and the Rambam brings in an entire philosophy of life. I was talking about nutrition. You've got to be healthy, you've got to be healthy, you have to eat, you can't overeat. And then all of a sudden he says, don't be like those other people who say, and then they, then he goes, like, it seems to be, whoa, that escalated quickly. Whoa. We'll eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. In other words, that their engagement in the process of eating becomes an affirmation of the temporary nature of their existence and removes them from a transcendent experience of life to a finite, limited, material existence. Almost as if the way I view food and eat has an accompanying 
philosophical component that based on the choice of how I manage my diet and the kind of food places I do visit, that will dictate what my experiential philosophy is. Not my theoretical philosophy, my experiential philosophy. If my pursuit of food becomes to fill my tummy with delectable delectable delicacies, that may give way to the notion that my experience of life I view as finite and that death is a termination. And therefore, whilst I'm here, I might as well experience the sensory world to its nth degree. And therefore, ironically, my choice of menu starts to become influential about the way I experience is is the nature of life, eternal or temporary. And the process of eating becomes a reflection of my orientation in life and philosophy. And by the choice of what I do with how I fill my tummy, I reflect either chokhmah or the crass material nature affirming my connection to pure, unthinking, animalistic existence. Whoa, that's big. That's big because I think this causes us to question very often something that we may take for granted. For example, what about this? Is it a great idea that when you go to a town where there's a larger Jewish population, that there is a kosher Chinese, kosher Korean, kosher Japanese, steakhouse, pizza, Italian, Greek, and Sven's Swedish pizza all available in one place? It could be that this notion, I think it's, it's quite an interesting explosion in the modern world of eateries. And people actually have become almost a experience of travel or entertainment is locked into an eating experience. And the level of sophistication that's arisen in the different kinds of things that we can do with our taste buds is enormous. It's enormous. So I can literally go away and if you speak, if you read travel reports, travel guides, and they say, well, went to London, what was it like? Where they ate and what they ate and how it tasted will play a major part. Which I find fascinating. And the, the way that restaurants and food engineering and the culinary, culinary arts have become exponentially more sophisticated. So when I go into a restaurant, it's the ambience, it's the decor, it's the music, it's the lighting, it's the distance from, of or the proximity of the kitchen to the eating place, depending on what kind of atmosphere I'd like to maintain. At this point in time, everyone says, hey, this guy should get into the hospitality industry. Um, so it becomes, it becomes almost as if this experience denudes, robs the notion of eating from its core meaning, which is nutrition. nutrition. Getting enough vitamins and minerals into my body so I can be effective with that energy. And there's a shift. 
When eating stops becoming a means to an end, but an end in itself. It actually becomes something I... The eating itself, not what the eating does to me. No, the eating itself becomes... It's the destination. It's no longer the launching pad. So now the Rambam gets it right. He says, well, who... What kind of feeling do I have about life if I'm looking at eating as a destination? It means I'm seeking to find the ultimate pleasure in the trappings of quantifiable material experience. If a person has tasted the sweetness of transcendent wisdom and has experienced a glimpse of eternity, the notion of eating for its own sake becomes insanely, insanely bland. And therefore, if a person's nourishing his need for pleasure from pure physical indulgence of his bodily senses, it must mean that he's been sucked into the illusion of temporary pleasure being the major mover in providing the joy and connection in his life. So now there's a very engaging piece of cryptic Talmud which conveys the following idea. <coughs> and I... tremble to present this, but I ask you for patience and restraint in order to allow the idea to sink in. Kamara says the following thing, that before a formal meal, which is always based on a staple, in the Jewish spiritual tradition, the staple is always bread. There is a preparation process which involves a way of dedicating and washing the hands, not for cleanliness reasons, but just as water is a purifying agent. We engage our hands, which are the way that we manifest ourselves in the world. And we elevate them through immersing them in water, or pouring the water over our hands in a particular way. And the source of that particular practice comes from a verse in the Torah. And the verse is Vihit Kadishtem, which means, and you should designate or specify or use as a mechanism of transcendence your hands. So our hands are the way we interact with the world. That's the way we make an impression. And when we go into the process of eating, there's a form of pre-eating dedication in order to focus us, focus on us that there's an intent. Now, in in our interaction with the world, we can often differentiate between the process 
and the outcome. And very often, the process is the way of reaching the outcome. Specifically when the outcome is, is, is something which is a necessity for the continuity of life. And therefore we differentiate between process and outcome or means and ends. And we say the means are secondary and the ends are primary. And the reason why I engage in the means is to produce the ends. So for example, take the notion of sleep. A person without sleep over a course of time will literally become insane. The more sleep we have, the more our body is rested, our brain recharges itself, our muscles heal. It's a necessary requirement for continued physical living. So it's not that I live to sleep, but I sleep to live. Living to sleep would be a reversal of means to ends. If I live to sleep, it means I make sleep an end, and living is a means to that. I have to live, I have to get tired, otherwise I won't be able to sleep. But in, in the real relationship, it would be that in order for me to live, I need to sleep. So sleep becomes the means and living becomes the end. Clear? When it comes to eating, eating is the mechanism whereby I produce new life through ingesting nutrients, vitamins, minerals, which will be digested, dissolved, and create ongoing human existence through that process. So the means is eating, and the ends is life. The other form of producing new life, which comes to mind, is sexual reproduction, whereby there's an act of copulation, which the mean, that's the means, and the ends is to produce a child, to bring something new into the world. It's the ultimate creative act, bringing new life into the world. So there's a means and ends. So we have a means in eating, and ends in eating. A means in intimacy, and end in intimacy. Both of them, the means produces the ends. There's a means to sleeping, there's an end to sleeping. It means sleeping is, a, is, the, is the means towards living a life where you have energy. Eating is the means to bringing the new life of me into the world, and... Um, Reproduction is the means, the act of, of intimacy is the means which brings new world, new life into the world. Now, if I distort that and I take something which is a means and I make it an ends, it's not that I've done something wrong and immoral. It means that I've turned the world upside down. And I'm going inherently against the normative system of expected behavior. So the Gemara says like this, that a person that doesn't wash his hands before he eats which means as follows. He doesn't look upon eating as a transcendent mechanism of engaging in the process of producing new life for a higher purpose. He simply looks at eating as a means of indulging his taste buds. So that person, it says, if he has frequented a woman of ill repute, a prostitute. It's quite a strange analogy until you start to think about it. The idea of, I mean, the, 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 the sad idea, apart from all the abusive aspects of what it contains and the complications, etc., etc., but prostitution essentially is using the reproductive act for the opposite of reproduction. It's the ultimate, uh, it's ultimate decapitating the end from the means and creating the means as a 
go within their own rights. So instead of the idea of intimacy being something which, through the union of two people, they bring into the world something new, it becomes a process of indulgent which brings nothing new to the world. It becomes self-indulgent. The process of eating for the taste is an analogy to that act. It's not using the process of engaging with the food for something beyond. It's using it for it itself. So ironically, through the process of eating, we actually reflect a deep set of values about what we believe life is all about. And that becomes quite, quite jarring for me and something for me to reflect upon as I think about lunch right now. Something to think about, something else to think about how, how it could be that in unexpected places, wisdom starts to shine through. Choice of foods, choice of portion sizes, and the manner in which we eat. Very, very unexpected, but very powerful. And it would be really interesting if you see, I do, I do remember from my teachers that one of the ways of them spotting a great man was by watching them eat. And we'll go on in the Rambam and he speaks much, much more about eating and where you should eat and how you should eat. But this, let this be a, a beginning point, a perfect entree to lunch. Thank <laughs> you.